Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Amen. He just, just works in a wonderful way and encourages me uh, every time that we are here. Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We have a short passage today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 46 will be the sending of the message this morning. A short three verses. I know that you think, man, he's only going to do three verses. I'm sure it'll be a short... No, just a challenge, right? It's just a challenge. No, I pray that it be the message that he gives. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for your living word, Jesus Christ, in our lives, Lord. Let us continue to see your love and your beauty in this place that you have given us. Let us continue to have appreciation for your word and your spirit that walks beside us as we allow it to move and speak to each of us, your people, Lord. We pray that you just continue to mold us, to shape us into what you have called us into. You are at work within this body, and we love you, and we praise you for that this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. I ask you a question today. Who has ever pulled an all-nighter? A lot of people. I expected quite a few, and I've done a few of those, and maybe it's because you're at work and you're doing working. Maybe you're driving through vacation. That would be the best all-nighter. You're driving to vacation, or maybe it's sitting with a loved one that is sick. Maybe it's doing some homework as a college paper, or maybe for some of us it's just a bad case of insomnia. But as you do an all-nighter, you get tired, but you do it because you have to. There's purpose, right? There's purpose for that. Well, there's, a, there's an all-nighter in history that I wanted to bring about to you today and, and to speak to you about. Who has ever heard of the man named John Dunlap? Now, I don't expect you have heard this name, but maybe you have. But John Dunlap, it's not a name that we hear regularly. But if you read through the, the smaller portions of the history books, you might come across this name. See, he lived in a time, some time ago, and, and he had an eventful sleepless night one one day he, he had finished up his day and and he had got a knock at the door and and the knock at the door when he opens his door another person wasn't as famous then but i'm sure he was still well known thomas jefferson was on the other side of that door from john dunlap and he had a big old piece of paper for him and he handed over this piece of paper to him and he said i need you to stay up tonight I need to put all those little pieces in the printer. And I need to do it as fast as you can. And, and by tomorrow, I would like to have about 200 copies of this Declaration of Independence. 
This was a treasonous act, act, as we know, by those that had signed it. And they brought it to John Dunlap. And see, they had to get it out there. They had to show it's not like they could have a word of mouth and, and memorize overnight this and to go out. And they needed actually to have some to give to the British to declare this. It's not just something that they did. They needed to spread this out. So they brought it to John Dunlap, John Dunlap and they gave it to him to print. And so he stayed up all night. And he printed these. He did his work. It was his part of the purpose and the mission that they had for that declaration. Now, if you skip forward a couple hundred years into about 1989, and you were in Philadelphia, and, and, and you would have seen these things, but guess what? In Philadelphia, there was a financial analyst, and he's, he liked to do some I don't know, antiquing. He liked to go out, he liked to find things. And so he had gone out and he found this old painting and it had one of those old paintings that probably your grandmother or your grandfather had hanging on the wall. It's kind of a country scene, right? It just wasn't anything spectacular. And, and you might think, you know what, I'm gonna look and see who, who the, the, the painter was. And you know, he's hoping to see at this great find that maybe it was a Picasso or a Matisse. Or, and he didn't find any of those things. It wasn't a Rembrandt, it didn't have any of that value. But really, when he got down to it, the value for him was in the frame. He really liked this frame, and he wasn't really worried about the picture. And the more he got to look at it, there was, there was kind of a rip in the canvas. And so he took it apart, and he said, you know what? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get this down a little bit. So, so he, he talks him down a little bit, and, and he gets this frame for the great price of $4. He says, that's not too bad. So he, he later on, he was kind of messing with this picture, and he, I don't know if you're like him or like me, but if there's a little tear, you, you might just mess with a little bit and he messed with a little bit more. It got a little bit bigger and got a little bit bigger and he's kind of, well, I didn't really like this anyway. So he, <coughs> excuse me, he took it off of the frame, but the frame actually started to fall apart in his hands. And so what he had his thought was value was starting to go away. He'd already, he kind of felt like I've lost my $4, but there was a hard back on this and on the back of this painting. And when he got into it, there was actually something folded up in the back of that painting. And as he unfolded it, it was still in really good condition with just the fold lines. And it came out to be a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Now, you never know. that You're probably thinking, oh, you know, this is just somebody that's thrown it in there and it's not an important copy because there's lots of copies. We have, we've seen tons of them and there's different kinds. But this one, he actually took in after a while and he got it kind of appraised. And they looked at him and like, you know what? This is actually a pretty important document. You see, out of those 200, they're called the Dunlop Broadleafs. And there are these about 200, but there's only about 20-some known now that have survived. And they said, this is one of those original 200 copies from July 4th, 1776, and July 5th, probably finished up, a Dunlop copy. Now, what does he do, of course, when he gets this? Uh, what would you do with that? He's going to sell it, right? There's a value to it. So he's going to, he's going to sell it. He's going to say, you know what? I think I can turn a profit on this $4, right? So he's, he takes it, and he takes it to Sotheby's. It's a big auction house. And, and they said, you know what? We think this is probably going to come for about $1, $1.2 million in this auction. So he's a pretty happy guy. And they do this. They send this copy, out, and they put it out for auction and ended up it sold for $2.4 million. It actually sold later again in 2000 for $8 million. It's kind of appreciated 
in value. So in today's money, that's like a gazillion dollars or maybe more like about six eggs or three gallons of gas in today's money, right? So we, we understand that. But it's true. I looked this up. I looked in Snopes. You all trust that, right? It, it looked up Snopes. This is a true story, and it's gone through a couple iterations. It's been sold twice, and it just keeps appreciating in value. But as we know, the value is not really in that money, right? The value, it's what it represents. And too often, we turn that away and we just want what the world has and what the world values. Now, it made me think of this passage a little bit. Because I've struggled. Anybody have struggled with these passages? Just three little passages, right? Three little verses. And, and it's, we've, we've heard them before, most likely, and, and, and I've heard them, and I've heard them preached on, and, and there's just little parts that have just never really fully made sense to me. I'm going to read those again to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. We know these parables, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, which I love that part, right? In his joy, because he's found this treasure, in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought this field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. See, there's some ethical dilemmas. There, I got it. There's some ethical dilemmas in that that some people have a problem with when they think about this, how it has traditionally been interpreted because I think on the surface level, you do see that, you know what, this would be a good parable to say, you know what, when I find the gospel, when I find Jesus Christ, when I find that relationship, there should be nothing in this world that is more valuable. I should be willing to go and sell everything I have to get this, right? But we see this ethical dilemma that should he have told the owner of the, of the field <laughs> that, the, that this value was there? They didn't see, they didn't understand. And that's kind of skipped over a little bit. And I, I think there is some truth in this that, that, that we are to find and understand the importance of the gospel. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's wrong. But I think that there's another interpretation that I think we should consider for this passage. And I wrestled a lot with this. And there's another part of this that try, who, we see a great purchase here, right? We see a great purchase of this field that we have gone and we have sold. And then we take it upon ourselves to, to buy this gospel. And if we look at this parable simply as the gospel, the good news, the salvation that Christ provided on the cross, isn't there a theological problem to say that we have sold, that we have to buy and purchase that? Has anybody ever caught that? Anybody ever struggled with that? Because we know that our salvation was purchased at a cost, but who made the purchase? It really, when we get down, it's not us. We know that God is the one through his son that has paid that cost for us. So I look at this parable a little bit more. And and like I said, uh, people interpret it differently. But I want us to at least consider a different alternative to this parable. Because the more I looked at it, the more I kind of saw there might be more here than I'd seen on that surface level. So it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field when a man found it. You see, if we go back just to the few parables before this, we see some parables where, let's go back to verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed when a man took it, planted it in his field. We see often in verse 37, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. He explains this when they leave. It is God himself, God, Jesus, but often the man in his parables is actually God. Now, does that change how we would view this parable? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. We think about the history of time. We think about this hinge that we just saw in the birth of Christ, right? In the death of Christ, that there was a time before. But guess what? Maybe God was waiting for the right time, and so it was hidden. It was, there was even a dark period between the Old Testament. We, we see kind of little glimpses, some shadows of this. But guess what? Then when he found it in his joy, he went and sold all he had. What did God have? He had his son. He was willing to pay the cost that we could not pay. to purchase our salvation. Maybe we're not the man. Maybe he would call us to be his treasure. Maybe he saw such value in us. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. I believe that God sees us that way. That when he finds you and when he seeks you out and he says, there you are, there is my treasure, there's the one that is worth so much, I will give. I will purchase for you. And I will take great joy in that purchase. Like I said, I'm not saying the other interpretation is wrong, but I'm saying can we consider that there's something more here theologically that I think God wants us to see, that he wants to, that it makes more sense, that, that we cannot purchase, we cannot buy, but boy, can we be God's treasure. I would share with you a few passages. One, if we think back to Exodus 19, this is the, the message where, where God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai, right? He meets with Moses on Sinai, and he says to him, he says, now if you obey me, obey me fully, and if you keep my command, my covenant, then out of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. We see this language more than once here, that God sees us as his treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, <clears throat> he didn't have to purchase it, but he did anyway. It was already his, yet you know what? He will give to Caesar what is Caesar. He will give to the world what is the world's, right? So he will go, I can take all this money. I'm going to give you, because if that's what you want in this world is just the money, here it is. But when I give that to you, I am taking my possession, my treasured possession, my pearl. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. We see later in Psalm 35, it says, Praise the Lord, the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be what? His treasured 
possession. Now, I pray I'm not taking out of these contexts. We normally don't jump around a lot like that. But you know what? I want us to see that God sees us as his valuable treasure. Because I believe that to be true. Malachi 3, verses 16 and 18 say, in some Bibles they have, they've added these little titles to them. This one is called the faithful remnant. But it says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. I love that part. That's a whole other sermon. The Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. A future action when he was sent. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. It fits well here because not only do we have the, the, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl, we see in the next parable we have the parable of the net. Once again, the kingdom of heaven. He loves this this language once again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish then the fisherman pulled it up to the shore then he sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away there will be judgment there will be separation this is how it will be at the end of the age the angels will come and separate wicked from righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth we do believe in that judgment Malachi spoke of it There'll be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those that do not. Now, I can see us in this parable. We can be the man that found it because we should have a great joy. We should have that when we find that relationship and when we come upon salvation. And and then in the second one, there's a distinction between these two. And we might make the distinction here where the first one, their person is not looking for it. Now, see, so that may not fit God as well. I want to give you the full. You're going to have to come and understand and, and come to your understanding that you, the, the fullness of this interpretation. You must come to your conclusion as well. But please, I beg of you, don't come to the conclusion because it's what you want. But seek his guidance. Seek the spirit in that. But he wasn't looking for it. The man found it. And he hit it again. The second one, the difference is that he is seeking it out. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. That is the God that I serve that has come looking for me. That this is the God that is waiting for it. That guess what? Later in the parable of the lost son, he's waiting. He can't wait for that son to come back. He is seeking after. He's doing all that he can. That is the God that loves us so much that he would send his son. That's the God that would love us so much that he would run after us. That is the God that loves us so much that he would seek after us. And when he finds us he says that is my daughter that is my son that is my treasured possession that i will do anything including humbling myself that i would send myself the son to this place so that you may come to now know me in the way that i know you that's the god that puts value on your life that is a different message than the world gives us the message the world gives us is to often breaks us down that our value is not there, but God sees differently. 
The parable of the net at 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down in the lake and caught all the fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bat away. So who are we in this parable? Because so often, you know, hey, we're supposed to be fishers of men, right? We understand that scripture. So we're supposed to cast our nets. We're supposed to bring these in and, and to, to bring people to the gospel. But you cannot be a fisherman in this parable until you have been a fish. Till you've been willing to be caught, till you have allowed God to bring you into his net. But, you know what, maybe I think this might be the beauty of this parable to me, that the more I've really got into it, and the more it frustrated me before, maybe the more I love it now. One, because it's God's word. But two, I think maybe it can be both. And I think he's playing that off. You know what, we're not seeking him always, but he will come to find us. But if we're in a world that has Christians in it, I can't go and not discover. I can't, I shouldn't be able to walk out in this community and not be able to see Christians and not be able to discover the wonderful person that Jesus Christ is for me. And see, I think we are a fish in that next parable, but I think he is saying, you know what? Yes, I am the God. I am the man. I am the one that is going to do this. But guess what? We are also called by God to become what? More Christ-like every day. To seek his sanctification, to seek his glory, to become and be molded into the very image of Christ. We go from being in the field. We go from being the very treasure of God to now becoming more like him to now we need to cast nets now we need to go out and the only way that this can truly be done is if we also take upon the mind of christ to love and to see the value that the world does not see until we see those out there as the treasured possession of god until we actually put value that the world misses. They just see it as a $4 frame that's falling apart. But God knows there's more underneath. God knows there's more that it's not that outer shell that is within us that he will bring about something new. He will discover the treasure that is within us. And when we have that true understanding and mind of Christ, we will see the true value that he saw in us. The fish become fishermen. That we get to participate again in the redemptive plan of God for this world. Man, maybe I do love this passage. Because he came, because he saw, because he saw value in me. Maybe because he saw past the issues the problems the failures that i had in my humanness before christ before being washed clean before coming to know him that he's able to say that is your past you have been made new in me maybe i too am supposed to be able to see past the failures the issues the problems in those out there that i may be able to see the great value and to see those that might not look like us that might not sound like us that might not act like us that they are the pearl 
of the living God. And that I too need to show value. Let them know not only are they valued, but they too have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've got this whole parable around this of the weeds and the tares. There are going to be those that will accept and there are going to be those that don't. But he casts his nets far. He casts them wide. He sees the value in all of those and he gives opportunity for all of those to come to him. That truly we love him because he loved us first. But I believe that just a little bit more we're also called to love other them because he loved us first as well he is good he walks with us he changes us praise God I am not the same that I was my life has been changed more so even on the inside than the outside that I want his love to extend in my life to those that he has given me I want my life to be an example as his was an example. I want to be able to be corrected into his image whenever he sees fit, not when I see fit. But I think as much as we look out there too, know today, be encouraged today, God values you just as you are, but also for what you can become in Christ. He calls us. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, but not because of that, but because he has purchased us through his blood on the cross. Amen? I'm going to invite the musicians to come at this time. I pray we reflect this week on this passage. Challenge you to do that, to read this over. Like I said, you may not agree. Commentators, they don't all agree. But wrestle with it. Go to Him. Allow the Spirit to speak to you. But be changed by His Word. We must continually dive into His Word and let it change us from the inside. He is good. Will you do that this week, church? Will you jump into this passage and let it speak to you? And so also be reminded, one, you are valued. You are valuable. You are worth it. I believe with all of my heart that if you, if me, would be the only one that would have accepted the salvation that was brought on the cross, I believe that he would have still done it just for you. That is the God that we serve. He is good. And I also believe that if the most horrible person that you can think of would be the only one that would come to Christ because he died on the cross, he would have still done it for them too. Will you see this broken world as God sees it with great value? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that we are continued to be encouraged by your word, challenged by your word, Lord, that we go to it to see the truth that it has, Lord, to understand the context that it was written, that these are the the words that the disciples heard out of your 
mouth, but continue to use it to speak to us as well, God. Let us take your word seriously in our lives, Lord. Let us come to love you so much that we want what you want more than the desires of our own hearts. That is who you've called us to be. And we are so grateful that you first saw the value in us that you would pay such a large cost that we may have salvation and dwell with you forever. And we give these things over to you in the wonderful, the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. happy that you've chosen to listen to our sermon today on the platform of your choice. We at Cory Community Church of the Nazarene continue to honor our calling to be kingdom people. We rely upon the gift of the fellowship and community to equip each other to fulfill our mission of reflecting the love of Christ to all those that God has placed within our lives. We welcome you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. in Cory, Indiana, just south of State Road 46. God bless.